walk up on the phone and got no friend all alone cause And everybody wants to be like you He says they call me Boombastic, semi-fantastic She tells me Mr. 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 Ro Romantic a Semi-fantastic, smooth, uh, just like a silka Johnny Paul alongside one oh na na. This is Beanie Man, the roughest, toughest, bomber clot back man from out of Jamaica. Hear this one, ya. Long Johnny Paul alongside mm na na. Well, I'm a gangster for life. Boss man. Emma Sama Dima come around, boss man. Up to Moom na gamda. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent October. 20th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the post, <laughs> the spastic podcast. <clears throat> it says they call me bombastic, semi-fantastic. Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. How you doing, folks? If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. I am an actor extraordinaire. 18 years of service, diploma in theater arts. Um, I don't even know if it's 18 years, come to think of it. Let me see, how old am I? I'm fucking 32. Started at 14. That would make it, uh, yeah, right? 18 years? Let me do the math on that. Got a calculator right here. You know, it's too hard to think and be funny at the same time, so sometimes you gotta cheat, use a little technology. Can't be funny and think about it. That's the last thing you want to do. You don't ever want to think about it. You just want to say it. So what do we got here? 18 plus 14 equals 32. Yeah. So I'm 18 years an actor, soon to be uh, 19, as I as my birthday's coming up, birthday boy, in a month or so. So uh, yeah. Last episode I had spoke about, um, you know... Some things that are coming up with me in my acting journey, in my life as a performer. And yeah, pretty good. This weekend, uh, this weekend, uh, I've been working on uh, learning. Working on learning. Learning. It's work. When was the last time you learned anything? It's a pain in the ass. I was like reading a book and like I was like taking in all this information and I was like, wow. Like, you know... It's not a, it's not the easiest thing to learn. It's like teaching an old dog new tricks. <laughs> and I don't feel like no old dog. I don't feel old, but it's more like when you're taking in new things, man, it could be challenging. I'm fuck, I got the hiccups. But when you're learning new shit, it can be challenging. And uh, that's what I was doing this past weekend. Uh, I went online made some purchases, uh, things to help Jonathan Ramtran the podcast move forward, give it a little bit of a, uh, what do you call it, a facelift. So yeah, I got some maintenance things in order for Jonathan Ramtran the podcast and uh, was learning shit that applies to my acting, reading books, like sitting down and reading. It's kind of a hefty little task, you know? It's nice to feel like you know it all, isn't it? And the more you investigate things, sometimes you find that, okay, well, there's more to be learned and there's more to do. 
And uh, it just kind of really reminded me, wow, you know, like there's all sorts of things to learn. And uh, yeah, I think you get the point. So there you have it, Jonathan Ramcharan, actor. Uh, I am also an alcoholic. Yep. Two years and 11 months of sobriety, continuous sobriety. Um, Sometimes you have drunken Drunken dreams. dreams. I don't know if you've ever had this, but um, sometimes like you'll be sleeping and you know, you'll have a dream. Like last night I had a dream that like I got drunk. I don't even really remember what the dream is. That's the funny thing too, is like I get blackouts way more now that I'm sober. Like when I was drinking and smoking pot around the clock, I would have all these lucid dreams, these crazy weird dreams. Nowadays, it's just like when I go to bed, I zonk out. I zonk the fuck out. My head hits the pillow. It's the next day. It's like, holy shit, did I die in my sleep? It's just like complete blackout. No, like sometimes I will just wake up. It's so weird. It's like, I'll just wake up and it's just like, oh, what the fuck was I doing? Oh, I was sleeping. (laughs) Just come out of the black blue, out of the blue blackness. Just wake up. And uh, I guess that's good, right? Peaceful sleeps. But then sometimes you have like these lucid drunken dreams when, like last night, for example, I have, um, you know how you have a few haunts? Everybody has a few haunts, like recurring uh, places in their dreams, right? You're having a dream and it's like, holy shit, I'm at this place again or at this venue again. One of my recurring dreams, well, it's more like a nightmare. Uh, uh, I'm a stand-up comedian extraordinaire, as I'm going to get to. But um, a part of my dreams as of late, within like the last maybe year or two, there's this recurring dream where it's like I show up to this comedy night and it's like a well-known venue chain chain of venues chain of comedy clubs so it's like I show up to this comedy club and I sit in line with all these comedians that are desperate to get onto the show nobody really knows if they're on the show they're just showing up to sign in hopefully they're on the show and I get there and I'm I You know, I go behind the rope. There's like a velvet rope. And like I go behind the velvet roped off area and I take my seat amongst the desperate comedians. And then I'm just kind of there in this weird kind of fog of like desperation and anxiety. And then somehow the dream morphs from that into me possibly having a drink or maybe not having a drink or... It's like I'm drunk when I get to the venue, or I don't know. It's like that weird morphing dream world, you know what I mean? Cue the dream music. And I'm like in this weird kind of dream-like state, you know? And I'm just there, and it's like, whoa, did I have a drink? Didn't I have a drink? Should I drink? Am I drunk? Am I going to get on stage? I want to be a comedian. Will I get on stage? Won't I get on stage? What's going on? Oh, I don't know. Then the dream kind of like morphs into me walking around West Edmonton Mall, phase three, upper level. That's a place in Edmonton, Alberta, the West Edmonton Mall, phase three, upper level, 
right? That's a mall in Edmonton, Alberta. And that's where the dream morphs to. And now I'm in the mall and I'm walking around. And did I have a drink? Didn't I have a drink? Should I have a drink? I don't know. And I'm, I'm walking around. And then I go to this hotel. And in this hotel, there's like a comedy night that I know goes on, right? There's a comedy night that I know is run there, but I never get on. But I go to the hotel anyways, and I kind of loiter, and I get in an elevator, and I go into the elevator, then I climb some stairs, and I'm, I'm wandering around hoping that as a comedian I could get onto this show, and maybe I can get onto the show, but I never get onto the show, but... You know, I'm possibly drunk, possibly not drunk. It's still kind of a weird drunk feeling. And then it's like I wander into the parking lot. And then, you know, then I just kind of wander home in the darkness. You know, I just kind of wander off through the parking lot and then I wander home. And that's like very much reminiscent of um, some of my actual comedy life. What actually happened to me as a comic back in Edmonton, Alberta, where I'm originally from, where I'm originally from. And that's kind of how it really was. I was drunk a lot <laughs> and I was wandering a lot around a lot. And uh, every now and then you have these weird dreams of drunkenness and um, you wake up <gasps> in a gasp like, oh, my God, am I drunk? You're like, oh, thank God. No, I'm sober. And, um, you know. I'm so grateful that today, two years, 11 months of sobriety, what I did was I joined a 12-step program. That's nothing official, no God, no um, no uh, emphasis on belief, God. Nobody wants your personal information. It's a place where you can go to um, be around other alcoholics, addicts, practice various steps of recovery. Day by day, those days add up. Then one day you find yourself in a new day. And it's not a dream. You're not dreaming. You're alive. You're awake. You're woke. <laughs> so to speak. And um, it's a blessing. And um, the one of the beautiful things of uh, recovery that I totally forgot about that I don't ever really talk about is um, hangovers. Yeah. That is one of the major blessings of getting sober. No more hangovers. No more bleary-eyed mornings. No more throwing up first thing in the morning, reaching for a drink. No more, you know, stumbling into work, reeking like a fucking beer hall. None of that shit, you know? You're alive, you're awake, you're woke, you're focused. So there you have it. Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. And, um, you know, I am also a janitor. Yes. I push my little mop bucket. And I wash, wash floors, mop floors. You know, I dunk the mop in the mop water. Then I mop the floor. You know, put up my little wet, put up my little wet mop sign, you know, to a, Alert the customers, watch out, <laughs> fucking idiot. And, um, you know, I uh, push a garbage trolley, push a little garbage trolley, uh, you know, emptying waste bins, recycle bins, organic waste bins, you know, that type of shit, washing windows, 
you know, and it's blessed. And it's relatable to all people who work. Um, you know, obviously it covers my, um, my living expenses and my expenses of being a performer. Because um, as I've said before, it takes a lot of, not a lot, but it takes, um, you know, investment to uh, do anything really. You want to get into bike riding? Well, you got to buy a bike. You know, if you want to be a performer, well, you should have a home base where you can be creative, relaxing, equipment, you know, computer, laptop, software, uh, camera, uh, you know, potential, uh, you know, money for transportation should you need to go somewhere, take a trip, a flight, um, you know, money for courses, classes. Um, nothing is set in stone. There's nothing that you have to do, but it's good to have those resources. And that's what, um, the janitorial hustle affords me. And it's relatable to everybody because janitoring, being a janitor, janitoring, custodial work, yo, it's just work. And it is very relatable to anybody because a lot of times in the workplace, one thing that I've come across lately is misery miserable people. Now I'm very grateful for my job. I know my place. I know my role. It's good for now. And I do it because it furthers my goals for the future. Well, a lot of people take on jobs and they feel as if they're going to be there forever, or they take on jobs because they're just whatever. They just fall into it. They don't have any plan. And, you know, they're going by the seat of their pants the seat of their pants, and in doing so, they're actually quite miserable. You could see it on their face, you could see it on their actions, you could see it in the way in which they interact with their co-workers. And, you know, it's just miserable. And when you're around those type of people, they're trying to bring you down. So that's something to remember in the working world. Whenever you come into contact with a miserable co-worker, realize they're really just trying to be um, they're really just miserable with themselves and their goal is to, and even if they don't know it, they're really just trying to tear each other down, tear themselves down, tear down the people around them. And you don't want to put too much emphasis or interaction with a miserable coworker. That's the last thing you want to do. Play their fucking game. There's this lady, she's a janitorial, I don't know what you call it, janorita, a janitorial woman, like a janorista. She's a, she's a female janitor, custodian woman, cleaning woman. And she's just straight up miserable, straight up misery. And, you know, she's, um, she's a Spanish lady, right? And um, I could just see it in her face the first time I met her. But, you know, we were pretty peaceable. And then slowly but surely, she would get in my business and bitch and moan at me about things, right? Jonathan? Jonathan, when you put the broom back in the closet, Jonathan, you got to make sure to put the broom back in the closet. Jonathan! Jonathan! <laughs> How fucking funny is that? She calls me Jonathan. <laughs> like I'm a comedian, I'm an actor, and my whole goal is to entertain people for a living. And she calls me... Jonathan! Jonathan! Yawn. <sighs> Yawn. <laughs> Jonathan. But anyway... She got, you know, she starts getting in my business about things that have nothing to do with her 
or me even, right? Like, for example, as a janitor, as a male janitor, I'm in my section, and as a female janitor, she's in her section. She does the female bathrooms, I do the men's bathrooms. Our paths rarely cross. So we really have no need to even talk to each other, right? Like, we, we're co-workers, but we never really work together. We're in different areas, different departments. But yet she makes an emphasis to kind of try to put her misery on me sometimes, right? To be bitching and moaning about things that don't make any fucking sense. Jonathan, okay, Jonathan, you gotta make sure. Jonathan, when you put the broom back in the broom closet, Jonathan, you gotta make. Jonathan, Jonathan, did you put the garbage bag? Jonathan? It's like you're nattering and mumbling about brooms and vacuums and garbage bags when we don't even work in the same department. What are you bitching at me about? Fuck off. I know she's miserable. And I know she's trying to spring a trap for me. Because, hey, I'm usually in a good mood. Smile on my face. Feeling pretty good. You know, walking with confidence. I mean, what the fuck, man? Like, I don't, I don't have to drag my ass through every day just because I don't have exactly what I want. You know, I'm in the pursuit of my happiness. So it's like, whatever. I'm grateful for it. And when people are miserable and they see that, they try to tear it down. Oh, Jonathan's happy. Why is Jonathan in a good mood? Why is Jonathan in a good mood? I know. I'm going to go bother Jonathan. So she comes and fucking bothers me. That's exactly what it is. Misery. 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 A miserable woman trying to bring down um, a happy janitor, a happy man. And it has nothing to do with men or women. Calm down. I'm just saying, like, a miserable woman trying to bring down a miserable man. Or vice versa. A miserable man trying to bring down a miserable woman. Whatever. Or whatever. And um, so that's what it is. And she gets to mumbling at me and bumbling at me. And I got vindicated. Because I kind of knew that that's what it is. She's miserable. And twice in the last, uh, I would say, the last couple weeks, I noticed that what I notice, other people notice. She was bickering. She was bickering with one of her female co-workers, right? They're nattering at each other. No, no, the thing is like this. No, when you do that, you got to make sure to do it. Blah, 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 blah. And our supervisor, who's, um, she's another Spanish lady as well. Um, the supervisor, she says to this miserable woman, You know what your problem is? You think you work harder than everybody else. You think you work harder than everybody else. Vindicated. I got vindicated because it's like, yo, even our supervisor sees this woman's miserable. She thinks she works harder than everybody else, which she doesn't. You know, it's like, yo, you go do your job. Fuck off. Nobody's interested. Right. And then she got into a little beef with another co-worker. Um, this other dude, you know, he's this uh, middle-aged white guy and he's just a real weirdo. Hey, hey there. How's it going? Yeah, my name's, uh, you know, so-and-so. That's how I talk, yep. I'm telling you, I've been a janitor for 20 years, and this is how you do it. This is how you change toilet paper, this is how you mop a floor, this is how you sweep a floor. I'm telling you, I've seen it all. Vomit, shit, piss, you know, all sorts of stains. I'm a janitor, 20 years plus of service. It's a real fucking weirdo dude, right? So anyway, she and this dude got to squawking. We were stuck in an elevator, right? And he turns to her and he goes, Hey there, how you doing? Good morning, how you doing? And she goes, no, bickering, babbling the way she does in her misery. And then this dude goes, you know what your problem is? You're always miserable. You're always miserable. 
I am not miserable. I am not miserable. And they're arguing at each other and shit. I'm like, ugh. You know? A little bit of a janitor beef. Vindicated. You know? What I see, other people see. And um, that's a nice little reminder to me that, okay, well, sometimes things are just obvious. And when you're in the workplace and you got miserable coworkers, just tune them right the fuck out. Because that's what they're trying to do. Whether they know it or not, they're miserable and they're projecting misery amongst their coworkers. And if you get sucked into that horse shit, it's just going to make your day worse. So that's my little um, advice for the working person is like, yo, when you got miserable coworkers, you know, like back in the day, it used to confuse me. It's like, why is this person bothering me? Or why is this miserable person always bothering me and getting into my business and why they have this beef with me and why they're coming at me with this bullshit like it's so unfair it's so unjust like what's going on well after years of pushing garbage trolleys after years of just working my balls off i get it people are miserable they're unfocused they're uninspired they don't know what the fuck they're doing in their lives And then they get a job and they go into a job that they don't particularly want. And then they act miserable as if it's your fault, as if it's the boss's fault, as if it's the company's fault when it's really their fault. So that's my little advice. And that's what I am. Jonathan Ramcharan, janitor. Well, it's one of the many facets of what I am. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire um, coming into my 11th year of stand-up comedy. Feeling very blessed. I had mentioned um, last episode, um, I had mentioned some things about the performing world, uh, but I didn't really mention, I had mentioned some things about my comedy life, the performing world, that were, you know, kind of stumbling blocks, kind of negative. And while I mentioned them, I didn't really mention the solution, is what I've realized. So let me just recap. You know, stand-up comedian, 11 years in the game. Actor, 18 years in the game. And, you know, part of the problem as a Canadian performer is that it's not Hollywood. It's not New York. It's not a big, you know, it's not that big Hollywood, New York um, film performing history. You know, New York, Broadway, theater, rich history, the mecca of like theater and um, a lot of music and stuff like that. New York City, the birth of a lot of um, music, hip hop, uh, ragtime, I believe, um, Various other genres. So, you know, New York, definitely a mecca of um, performing. Hollywood, the film industry, and also music, uh, comedy, things of that nature. A mecca of performing arts. Well, as a Canadian, we're a little bit at a disadvantage. We don't have that type of scene. The world in general looks to America... For, um, that's my chair squeaking, not me farting. The world in general um, looks to America for guidance 
in their, uh, what do you call it, pop culture, in their like music, in their shows, in their style, in a lot of ways. It's America. And as a Canadian performer, well, what are your options? It's like small, um, publicly funded broadcast networks like the CBC. Granted, the CBC is not small. They make great documentaries, great news coverage. But in terms of their, um, their, uh, their programming, their original programming, like um, dramas, comedies... They're just not as popular and they don't compete as much with uh, the states. And partially because Canada's role, and I think all nations, they should look more to cultivating their own talent. And they don't, not to say it's anybody's fault, but the most of the world looks to America for entertainment. Canada being no exception. So it's like, yes, we have the CBC, and yes, we have all these independent channels and um, opportunities, but the cultivation and emphasis is always on America. And that's where, you, that's where this system of desperation and um, the haves and the have-nots comes into place. Because as, a, as Canadian performers, there's a lot of desperation, because the outlets and the opportunities that are available to us, number one, they're small, they're few, and they're not very far-reaching. So even if you do wiggle your way through all the, the gatekeeping, the closed doors, the obstructions, if you can even navigate your way into these communities, into these broadcast companies, into these opportunities of performing, even if you can get your way in, the reach that they have are fairly small and partially because I guess that's just the way it is. You know, you can't really blame anybody. But if there was more of an emphasis on cultivating our own talent instead of exporting it, looking to them for our entertainment value, like a little bit more of an emphasis. We try, I guess, there's like, you know, Much Music, the Juno Awards, CBC, um, Showtime Network, all these different networks that are not Showtime. Uh, what is it? Showcase. All these different little, all these different networks that put out great programming, but the competition is just so steep. And um, also, like for example, the desperations like this um, as a comedian. Within the last two years, there's an association that popped up. It's called the CASC, C-A-S-C, Comedian Association of Stand-Up Comedians. Canadian Association of Stand-Up Comedians, CASC, C-A-S-C. Now, what they're saying is like, there's such a limited opportunity for Canadian comedians, um... Number one, Canadian comics were not really granted government grants. We're not able to like apply for government um, artistic grants to like you know travel abroad, fund a production, X, Y, and Z. Whereas a lot of other quote unquote art, 
like musicians, dancers, theater groups, they're allowed to apply for these grants, whereas comedians don't fund, don't fall under the Canadian arts grants, certain different grants, financial grants. And also, um, which, and they say that why, why that's such a disadvantage for Canadian comics is it makes it harder for them to get the funding to travel abroad to promote their comedy. And they're looking to the government. There was like a petition that I did sign, like I guess I'm a technically involved or a part of the CASC, C-A-S-C, Canadian Association of Stand-Up Comedians. Like I guess I am a part of it. And I signed the petition. It was an online petition for the government to kind of um, allow Canadian comics to apply for this type of funding to help out the Canadian comics community. But in a way, it's a band-aid solution because the problem is basically, as a Canadian comic, you basically have to cultivate your own fan base, get your own fan base, however that is, like through YouTube, online, podcasting, uh, word of mouth, Um, visibility, get yourself into the club however you can, get yourself on the road however you can. So there has to be the, the, in my opinion, there has to be more of a responsibility on the Canadian comic. And there also has to be a bigger push in the community, in the society as well to, to appreciate Canadian talent more. You know? Because it really, it's really... It's really limited, I find. I mean, think about it. What Canadian rappers do you know? There's like what? Drake, um, Cardinal Official, and a few dudes from the past. Like, uh, I can't really name them off the top of my hand. I'm, I'm not even really aware of them. That's that, and I know there are some, right? But it's like Drake, Cardinal Official, Chaos, um, And then there's all those other guys that are kind of like R&B rappers, kind of like Snow, Shaggy, um, Shawnee Paul, Sean Paul. And they're great, but that's like the select few when in reality there's like what? Probably hundreds of them, right? Same thing with, uh, you know, Canadian rock bands. Like in the past, like there was a lot of famous Canadian rock bands like Rush, uh... Bachman Turner Overdrive, BTO, um, Tragically Hip, that's a great example. Tragically Hip, they could sell when, you know, rest in peace, Gord Downey. When Tragically Hip was doing their thing, um, they could sell out anywhere in Canada. If they went to the States, they're playing some fucking dive bar, playing some fucking shitty little club, maybe not so much, but like, that's what I mean, like, the the value is hard to translate over because everything's so American entertainment saturated. And that's what I'm talking about. It's like shifting that viewpoint within our country, you know? Because, yo, it's just the same thing. Like, it's almost as if, it's just like, it's not the same thing, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's a societal perspective. So I guess it really falls down to society's choice and the, the willingness of the Canadian performer to 
put themselves forward. And uh, last episode, I was kind of griping a little bit about how, um, as a comic, there's like, you know, slight, slim opportunity and a lot of desperation and negativity and this, that, and the other. But I, re- but I, uh, I omitted the solution. And that's what I feel the solution is. It's like more of a societal dialogue, more of a societal push for Canadian content, more of a responsibility on the Canadian performer to gain that followership, that followership, that uh, that fan base. Because, you know, just to rely on the government, which is basically what this CASC, Canadian Association of Stand-Up Comedians, that's basically what they're saying. They're saying, oh, more Canadian grants, more government intervention in helping Canadian comics, where it's like, well... <sighs> I don't know. It's really society's choice. It's really a free market. It's really up to the consumer. So it's a little bit of a balance. So, you know, more society, more society, per, more societal interest in Canadian performing, more uh, accountability on the performer, and more opportunity, I guess. I don't know. It's... I don't know. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. But it's it's a tough little... Sp- hit me up if you have any um, insight into what you think on Canadian uh, arts, Canadian entertainment. What is your view on that situation? But, you know, it's it's kind of... It's, um, you know, I'm trying to be delicate trying to be delicate and positive and I don't want to be too um you know there's no there's no power in negativity um when you're trying to accomplish goals so there's no power in me going wham 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 but there's also the reality of things and that's why I'm trying to tread lightly here but you know it really comes down to the performer and societal perception you know it's all advertisement, you know. Hollywood has the power, the capital, the history to advertise. If Hollywood says this is a blockbuster, then it's a fucking blockbuster. If Hollywood says this is the next fucking uh, funniest thing since sliced bread, the next best comic, the next best rock band, the next best fucking burlesque dancer, whatever, then Hollywood says so. Whereas, like, well, what about... The societal perception that, hey, like, we do good work too here in Canada. Like, where's the fucking, where's the scene? Where's the support of the people? Because every now and then you do get a home run, right? You got the Trailer Park Boys. You got um, Drake. You got uh, fucking Justin Bieber. Shawn Mendes. um, Alicia Carl. Right? Carl? Cara? Alicia Cara. Carl. Um... You know, you got all these different people that have kind of come out of the woodwork and kind of get on an international level. But for the most part, for the vast majority of us, we're like struggling just to get a fucking bar gig. To get on at a fucking bar downtown Toronto. You know, it's like a struggle. So, anyways, if you do have any insight into the Canadian entertainment industry, hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jonathan Ramcharan 
actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yes, yes, yes. Just came back from doing some laundry. That's always fucking fun. That's how you know I'm a Canadian performer. (laughs) I still do my own laundry. Yeah. It would be so weird to be famous like that. Rich and famous and having people in my house. Good morning, Mr. Ramcharatan. Did you have breakfast? <clears throat> uh, yeah, thanks, Jeeves. I had breakfast. Okay, Mr. Ramcharatan. Can I do your laundry for you? Get the fuck out of my bedroom, you fucking weirdo. I would wait. I would hate to have like a butler or like a fucking maid or something. It'd be so weird. I was overdoing laundry this morning. Crack of dawn. <coughs> Getting the fucking day on. You know? And today, this evening, we are, we are on the eve of the federal election. It is the night before the Canadian federal election, 2019. Tomorrow, we all go out to the polls, get out there and vote if you can. Um, yeah, some big uh, government shakeup happening tomorrow yeah federal election the uh the new prime minister or the current prime minister all that's coming out in the wash tomorrow and um yeah you know i'm ready for it i think i know who i'm gonna vote for i think i have my idea um i'm gonna vote after work tomorrow and um yeah canadian politics Something in the news along those lines was like President Obama, he had chimed in on Twitter, you know, saying that how when he was in office, he was very um, much uh, in line with uh, Justin Trudeau, very much liked his politics, very much saw him as a good leader. He was getting a little bit of a backlash, Obama, for being like, yo, Keep your nose out of fucking Canadian politics. You don't live here. You don't work here. You're not seeking work here. You don't pay taxes here. What is your care and interest in the uh, the vote for um, Canadians? Like, What do you care what Canadians vote for? You don't even live here. <laughs> so, you know, people are getting on his back about that. President Obama. Yes. <clears throat> I, uh, black President Obama... I say that, hey, you know, um, it was not a big deal that Justin Trudeau wore blackface. As a matter of fact, I wear blackface every day. So I don't see it as a big problem. And, uh, you know, I think Justin Trudeau was a good liberal leader. And, uh, you know, forgive his blackface blackness. You know, it's all big, no big fucking deal. Uh, you know, I'm a black man and I can say that, you know. <laughs> I love Justin Trudeau. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Obama. Thank you. And yes, as Mr. Barack Obama said, I did wear blackface at one point in my political life. But, you know, it was just a joke. It was just a little Halloween trick. Halloween is upon us. And, you know, it's just a little bit of fun. So going forward into this uh, 2019 debate, I'm really counting on you guys to forgive my um, ignorance, my swarmery fuckery, my swarmy douchebag fuckery doo-doo. Please forgive my blackface little escapades and uh, vote for me this 2019 election. My name's Justin Trudeau. Uh, yes, uh, yes, uh, President Obama here. Uh, yes, 
uh, we love you, uh, Justin Trudeau. All black uh, Americans love you. Thank you. <laughs> Fucking swarmy, blue-eyed, black-face-having, ter- turban-wearing Justin Trudeau, prime minister. He's got to be shaking in his boots. He's got to be shaking in his bootsy boots because, um, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if he's got the strength to cover the spread. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if he's out of touch. And, uh, but hey, all will be revealed. It's a very titillating affair. Very much so. So if you're a Canadian resident, if you're an international affair enthusiast, keep this all in mind. Canada. Canada. Canadian federal election 2019 happening tomorrow, October 21st. Yes. Uh, I was thinking about, um, you know, oh, yes, also, because, holy shit, do you guys hear that? There's some dogs barking, my neighbor's dogs. Um, yes, as it is coming up to um, elections, a lot of things that have been going on is also um, in terms of, like, economy, work, workers' rights, blah, 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 you know, the middle class. And there's this article here that I found very titillating. Um, This is an article from Thursday, October 17th, 2019, the Toronto Metro Star. This article is, um, Group Occupies Ford's Office to Back Temp Workers. Stronger protections wanted after death of a father of two at Fiera Foods Bakery. Yes. This article was written by Sarah... Crazy last name. Sarah Mojetza Dezada. Sarah M-O-J-T-E-H-E-D-Z-A-D-E-H. <laughs> That's a fucking mouthful. Anyways... Toronto Star. Worker advocates occupied workers worker active worker advocates occupied Premier Doug Ford's Etobicoke constituency office Wednesday afternoon, demanding stronger protections for temporary help agency workers. Their action follows an accident at North York Industrial Bakery, Fiera Foods, that claimed the life of a fifty seven year old father of two. Police were called to the Etobicoke scene after about seven representatives of the Fight for $15 movement and several unions entered the office on Albion Road, asking to speak with the Premier on the phone while while a group of 30 others set up a barricade outside. The advocates were still inside the constituency office several hours later. An office staffer who refused to identify herself said she had zero comment and asked a star reporter to leave the building. Ford was in Kenora on Wednesday where he was making an announcement related to infrastructure. Asked about the protest at his constituency office, Ford stressed he takes a workplace safety seriously. The Ministry of Labor is all over it, Ford said, of the situation at Fiera Foods. Enrico Miranda, who had been working at the industrial bakery for about five years through a temp agency, was crushed by a machine he was cleaning in September. 
He was the fifth temporary employment agency worker to die at Fiera Foods or one of its affiliate plants since 1999. There have been five deaths, two of them on Doug Ford's watch, said Pam Franch of the Fight for $15 movement. It's not too much to save a life. Dina Ladd of the Toronto-based Workers' Action Centre said nothing else had worked in the group's efforts to advocate for stronger protections for temp workers. Last week, labour advocates wrote an open letter to the Premier demanding that the provincial government implement the legislation that will make companies using temp agencies financially responsible for the workplace deaths and injuries involving temp workers. In diddly-da and dumbly-doo, the ad just continues to go on about that. It's up in the air. These people, um, you know, they went to the uh, to Premier Doug Ford's office to, you know, protest, to raise awareness to this issue. Temporary laborers, you know, they work under very stressful, unsafe conditions. They're fighting for a better wage. I did a lot of temporary labor work in my... Um, in my life, uh, previous to being a janitor here, um, I was working temp. That's a great way to, you know, well, it's not a great way, but it was a convenient way for me to make money as a struggling performer because, you know, it allowed me to have a flexible work schedule, nothing too onerous on me. But the working conditions, a lot of times as a temporary laborer, I'm telling you, they're dangerous. And a lot of times you'll go into a working environment and you won't really know all of the um, precautions. You're not aware of all the dangers, right? And this poor dude, he's like a 52-year-old father of two, gets crushed to death while cleaning a machine this past September. Wow. And, you know... Workers' rights, safety in the workplace, a universal, well, not a universal, but the fight for the $15 an hour movement, better living wages for Canadians. That's something that's coming into focal point this election. All the candidates, whether it be Conservative, Liberal, NDP, Green Party, Bloc Québécois, People's Party of Canada... All these parties, they all pretty much say the same thing. And it's hard to even really tell. Sometimes it seems like the odds are stacked against you as a everyday person. Somebody just trying to make a living. So, it's hard to make any sense of it, to be honest. All we can do is raise awareness. So, I applaud this group of people. This, um, I guess they're called, um, I guess they just call themselves labor advocates, you know, labor advocates in general. Any person advocating for labor's rights, unions, stuff like that, that's the best we can do, I think, is raise awareness and fight for equality in the workplace but it's tough because it's tough to get people all on the same page it's tough for the higher ups to 
relinquish power. People want to hold on to power, play their little petty dollar and cent games. Industry, it's hard to regulate. But awareness, awareness is key. And being vocal and standing up for these issues is very much key. So I guess that article kind of touched me because as a temporary worker, I know, man, I've done like construction jobs where, you know, you're in some like dilapidated building. You're not sure if it's going to cave in on you and your employer just sends you there. Who gives a fuck? Go make me some money. And it's like you feel like you feel like less than. You know, a lot of times as a temporary worker, you got like this stigma on you, like you're not you're good not, enough to be not, involved in society you're and you're not good enough for like basic rights. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not, you're not, this poor bastard gets crushed to death at work cleaning a machine. Like what happened? Was there not a supervisor like noticing, hey, whatever you're doing, that seems dangerous. Or wasn't there some sort of procedure like, how could something so drastic happen in the workplace? It's a major oversight. And we have to have more accountability. More, more care for people's basic rights. And, you know, people should be able to come home from a day of work all intact. So... I mean, I wish I had an answer, but I don't. All I can say is during this election um, season, please be mindful of um, the big picture, how we're all people and how we all have to work together, you know? Um, And uh, that's it. That's all I can really say, bringing awareness to that. And, um, oh, God. Speaking of, um, you know, awareness, I want to bring awareness to um, bad haircuts. I got, hands down, the worst haircut I've gotten in previous years. This thing is a D minus. I don't even know if a D minus is a passing grade, you know? And a D minus isn't so bad on a test, right? If you get a D minus on a test, who gives a fuck? What are you going to do? Get grounded? Who gives a shit? You know? Fuck a D minus on a test. But on a haircut? You can't be walking around with no D minus haircut, buddy. You are D fucking fucked with a D minus haircut, bud. That ain't looking cute. So I got this fucking D minus haircut, right? And I'm like, oh, God. And it's so fucked, man, because I think they had like one of those Willy Wonka fucking you know, carnival mirrors or something, because this is not the haircut I left with. I remember when he was done, I looked in the mirror. I'm like, whoa, that looks good. Thank you. And I get home. I'm like, was I staring in a Willy Wonka fucking circus clown mirror? Because that is not the fucking haircut I left with. This thing is fucking, you know, uneven, little fucking bushes and little fucking sprigs of hair and uneven. No, like, for example, like I asked for a fade and a lineup. Now that is like asking for, um, yo, give me a hamburger and fries. Like that's asking for like the basics. Like that is the basic haircut at any fucking like, like a like at any like black barber shop. Yo, give me a fade up and a line. That's it. A lineup and a fade. 
And, yo, this thing is fucking, it's a D minus. And, like, I'm already looking forward to my next haircut. Like, how fucked is that when you get a haircut and you're already looking forward to the next one? Because I am going elsewhere. Ugh. And I have to, you know, like, for example, I got to give the kid credit. Like, at first, I looked at the kid, right? This is the new place I went to, right? Because, like, I've been having trouble with barbers. I've been having some trouble. I mean, my previous barber, right? My previous hairstylist, my my previous hairdresser, this dude. First time I met him, it was like he was sleeping on a fucking chair, right? And he was like... So I walk into the barber shop, and I guess I woke him up, right? He's like... Yo, man, what do you want, man? Yo, I'm here for a haircut. What do you fuck? What do you fucking think? What do I want? I'm here for a haircut. I didn't say that, right? But I'm like, oh, I'm I'm just here for a haircut. He's like, oh, okay, man, and get in the chair. And as I go to sit in the chair, right? He's like, no, don't sit in the chair like that. To be so he's bitching and mo- moaning about how I sit in the chair. I'm like, what? Whatever. And you know, as I got to know the guy, he's just kind of arrogant, kind of angry, kind of weird. Just a bad vibe. You know, on the positive, you know, he owns his own barbershop. He's doing well for himself. And hey, if I was to go into business, owning your own barbershop and being your own barber, it's probably, yo, it could be very lucrative. Think about it. No overhead. What, what, What is the supply? What is the material that you need? What, a pair of scissors? You open a barbershop, you buy a pair of scissors, a razor a hair clipper, and people come to you and you charge them to cut their hair. I mean, it's like a skill that I guess you learn in jail. I mean, that's the only way to learn it. That's where you go to hair school, isn't it? Jail. That's how you become a barber, go to jail for a few years, learn how to cut hair in the shower. But like, aside from that, it could be a fairly lucrative business, right? Like a good barber is hard to find. And the the only reason why I left my previous barber my previous hairdresser is because he's fucking just a bad vibe. You know, man, the ting like that, the ting's like this, and, uh, you know, why can't people be more like me, man? I run my own business, I do my own ting, and this and that. He's like, he's all high and mighty about how he has his own business. It's like, bro, you're not God, all right? And to be honest with you, I wish you'd just shut the fuck up and cut my hair. I didn't come here for your fucking worldview. I didn't come here for your fucking opinion. I came here for you to snip my fucking hair, buddy. Shut the fuck up. So it's like he's just a bad vibe, negative attitude. Had to get away from him. My previous barber to him, this dude was a complete weirdo. He's like a Trinidadian dude like myself, right? So that's what I like about him. He's like this elderly Trinidadian dude, right? Like, hey there, Jonathan, and things like this and that, boy. Hey, man, you're coming for a haircut. Okay, man, I cut your hair, boy. And, you know, he likes animals, you know, he's like a, he, he trains canaries, right? He's like, yeah, man, I got canaries, man, and I train them how to stand up tall, and they stick their chin out like that, man, and they put their wings back, and they stand, like, so he, he teaches canaries how to stand a certain way, and he takes them to, like, canary, canary shows, I guess, like, pet shows, um, canary contests. So, like, he's pretty good with canaries and birds, and, you know, he likes animals like myself, so we connect on that level. But he's just a fucking weirdo. One time I went to get my hair cut, right, he's like, Yo, Jonathan, did you know this, man? 
Women be fucking dogs, man. Yeah, man. Women be fucking dogs, man. I saw this picture of a woman. I saw this video of a woman. She's fucking a dog. He's all like, ruff, ruff, ruff. He's fucking her, man. Yeah, man. He whips out his cell phone. And he's showing me this video, this perverse video of this dog fucking this woman. Right? I'm like, what the fuck are you showing me, man? What the fuck? I don't look at pornography. I don't look at pornography in my spare time. I think it's brain poison. Pornography is brain poison, man. Like, it's just negativity. I hey, yo, to each their own. I've looked at pornography back in the day, yada, yada, yada. I just think basic pornography is brain poison, let alone bestiality porn, right? I ain't down for that shit in the least, right? I'm like, yo, what are you showing me, man? So I, I kind of like look away. And he's showing me this, right? And there's like women and children in the hair salon, right? And he's showing me these videos. And like, yo, he's got friends that are fucked up too. Like that's a good sign of a person you shouldn't be around is if their friends are fucked. You know, like the people that they bring into their life. Every time I'd go get my haircut, there was this fucking, his friend would show up, right? He had this friend in the neighborhood who would just show up and like talk to him, right? So like they'd be having a conversation over my head while he's cutting my hair, right? He'd be like, oh yeah, man, did you get the scratch ticket, man? Yeah, I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket, man. You want me to pick you up a lottery ticket, man? Yeah, man, you can pick me up a lotto ticket. Uh, give me a lotto ticket. Give me a lotto 649. So they're talking about lottery tickets and shit. He's cutting my hair. They're standing over me talking, right? I'm just like, oh, God. Right? Can't I just get my fucking hair cut in peace? So he's talking to his friend, and his friend's all like, okay, yeah, man, I'm going to go to the store. Go get myself a lottery ticket, man. I'm going to get you a lottery ticket. Yeah, man, yeah, give me a lottery ticket. So after the guy leaves, my hairstylist, he turns to me and goes, you see that man there? You see that man? He murdered his wife. He murdered. I was like, wife. what? Yeah, man, that man right there, that man I was just talking to, he murdered his wife. Yeah, man, he was in jail for like 20 years, man, and he got out and he murdered his wife. Murdered, as in killed. Yeah, man, he murdered his wife. And that's your friend, is it? Well, the man did his time. I mean, the man, he went to jail. You know, he, you know, you do things in your life, man. Like, you know, he murdered his wife and then he went to jail and the man did his time. I don't, I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, <clears throat> a little bit off the side, please. A little bit, little trim on the top. <laughs> How fucking awkward did that haircut get after that? I'm just like sitting there. I'm like, uh. So it's like, after that, I had to reevaluate. I'm like, yo, man, I can't be going to this hairstylist. I can't be having a hairdresser who's friends with known murderers. I can't have these type of fucking people in my life, right? There was nothing wrong with his uh, skills as a hairdresser, but he's a fucking mental patient. So having gone through two barbers, I now go to this new hairstylist. This was uh, two days ago. And, you know, this dude, he fucked my hair up. And I'm looking at this hair, you know, and after after he cut my hair, he's like, he was like a young dude, this new guy. He's young. He's like, uh, I don't know, like 20 or something. He's like, yo, bro, do you mind if I uh, take a picture? So I was like, sure, man. So, he, you know, I was like, wow, I didn't know that 
you know, so he's taking pictures and he's taking pictures of my hair, and I'm like, oh, wow, so, so how long you been listening to the podcast? He's like, uh, well, no, no, what, what podcast? I I just want to take some pictures for like, uh, for like learning purposes. I was like, what? Oh, I was confused. I thought it was like a Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast fan or something, right? I'm like, oh, okay, well, fuck you too then, whatever. But then I realized, wait, wait a minute, wait, you want to take pictures for learning purposes? I thought he was going to like take pictures and put it on his Instagram. Like, you know, people want to floss and show what they do, right? So I figured maybe he just wanted to take some pictures and put it on his YouTube or whatever, or his Facebook, I Instagram. He goes, oh, no, man, it's just for, like, learning purposes. I'm like, what? Yeah, I would have liked to have known that before I got fucking, you know, seated for a haircut with you. I didn't know you were a fucking junior barber. I didn't know I had a junior barber on my fucking hands. So I had this junior barber fussing and fucking mussing with my hair. And like I said, it was like a Willy Wonka circus clown mirror because it looked okay. But when I got home, I was like looking in the mirror. I'm like, holy fuck, you fucking maimed me. So like this is one disheveled fucking looking haircut. But, um, you know, I'm going to post pictures on the website. And uh, and if you're listening on YouTube, I'll I'll post a little picture on YouTube. But this is definitely the worst haircut I've had in recent years. But, um... Hey, you know, luckily I got out unscathed and I just wanted to bring some awareness to bad haircuts. And now I'm in pursuit of a new hairdresser. It's a never-ending battle. But, um, you know, that's what it is, man. Life's a never-ending battle. And I'm very fortunate for all the good things that are happening. And um, keep on rocking in the free world. It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran, reporting live for duty on this magnificent October 20th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Do hit me up if you have any questions, queries, or qualms on anything that you heard on this episode. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. I'm available on all venues, all platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, Facebook. Hit me up there. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. A-height. Peace. Peace.